This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Good morning. I'm Angela, and welcome. Super excited to be here. This series is just rocking my world. I know we're only one, well, you're one week into it. I'm two weeks into it. You're about ready to be two weeks into it. And I know that we have a tendency to think that whoever is standing up here on stage is somehow an expert in the topic that they're talking about, but we are not. We are experimenters, and we might have started the experiment like a half a minute before you started the experiment, but man, this last week asking that question, are you my neighbor, just pushed me in all the right ways. I don't know if you were here last week, we'll recap just a smidge, but if you tried that this week, it is messy and uncomfortable, this business of seeing the we. And today we're going to talk about the next iteration of what this Jesus effect is. And Ron's right. The Jesus effect changes us. It doesn't, I mean, so many of us see the Christian religion as a moral compass or, you know, at its worst, like a do's and don'ts list, like boiled it down to that. But the truth is walking in proximity with Jesus changes us. It doesn't just change our opinions. It actually changes how we feel, how we act, how we respond. And questions like, are you my neighbor, is part of the We've been talking about ordinary conversations with God. That question has sparked ordinary conversations that have all kinds of messy, muddling, meddling, like, Jesus, you really want to talk to me about that? So I am loving this series, and today is no exception to the rule, so much so that I'm over here praying during worship, which is something that is allowed, like you can sing and sometimes you can just pray. (laughs) I'm over here praying in worship because I'm so excited about this topic that I can feel me bouncing all over on it. So God bless you as you try to follow me in that. You might need that note paper. Just keep us in order. And Jason, in projection, I am sorry. <laughs> That's how we'll start. Okay. So last week we talked, we opened the Jesus effect talking about how Jesus changes what we see. He changes our perspective, and I challenged us to see the we, and I drew a chart that was kind of uncomfortable because it's pretty new to me, and it's something that came up in prayer while I was praying about this teaching series. I mean, it's like really new to me, and it is a circle, which I have, it's better if it is unfolded as we talk, but we already did that last week, so this week I'll just show you that chart. It's a circle, and this is how I think God defines we. But the truth is, we always have the opportunity to choose how we are going to see things. So even though I believe this is how God defines the we of the world, we can actually choose to define the we, whether we're going to agree with him or we're not. So God, all the way through the stories of the Bible, and then all the way through Jesus' interactions when he was on the earth— Look to me as though his perspective of we is, I, God, am putting my tent, pitching my tent, building my camp with everyone. Not just some, not just the religious, not just the Christian religious, not just the, I'm pitching my tent with everybody. And that also includes me. So the we is everybody together. That doesn't seem that revolutionary until you look at how the world has defined we. 
And we don't define we this way at all. In fact, we are defined much more by our camps, the way that we have divided ourselves up in opposition to each other. At best, maybe camps that are next to each other and not in opposition, but often those camps bind together to be in opposition against other camps. Like, it's, if you look at our world, we are not defined by this we. And I believe the church should be setting the tone for the entire world. I think that was God's original idea. But if you look at churches, we're not beating the statistics either. We are just as divided inside. We are this denomination. They are that denomination. We are, we're just as divided. It's not what we're known for. And I believe that the Jesus effect shapes us differently and defines the we differently. And so this graph is what I believe we generally live out from day to day. And by we, I'm including me in that we. This is a challenge for me because I tend to think God and I are in camp together because we're talking, because I believe what I see in the Bible, because I'm trying to follow him with my life. I believe God and I are in a camp together. And then when you tick me off and I step away from you because it's like, "Mm, I don't want to be associated with that for whatever reason, because we believe different, because you treated me poorly, because... I'm in a bad mood. I don't know. Like for whatever reason, when I distance myself from you, I believe that God is coming with me. Like, isn't that so human nature? <laughs> like, I know that God also totally disapproves of the way that you just talked to me. Like, like God is coming with me. But when God says, listen, I've pitched my tent with everyone. If you step away from me, yes, I'm going with you because I love you and my camp is with your camp. I am coming with you, but you are stepping away from me. You're also stepping away from me because I am with everyone. I am for everyone. I do not abandon anyone. The we is everyone. And so last week I challenged us, myself included, to see the we. And we asked the question, are you my neighbor? We told a story from the Bible that was, that was the moral of the story was to ask ourselves how we define neighbor. But because we tend to define neighbor either in physical proximity, they are literally my next door neighbor, or my neighbor being, hey, we're all part of the same church. Like we're the same. So we're neighbors. And I believe that circle graph of we really challenges our definition of neighbor. And I think it's what God is trying to challenge us with as a society, not just as a church. Like, I want our church to get this because I want to set the tone for society because can you feel that we need it? We need it. So we let's see the we and are you my neighbor? And this week... I would like to talk about our proximity, how Jesus changes our proximity. And John, I want to go back to a verse in John and projection. I can see you back there. Shall I just read my notes? Okay. God bless these little papers. I almost didn't do this. <laughs> You're just going to have to listen to me. This was a verse that we read from last week. It's John 17. Jesus is praying, which means Jesus is hanging out and talking with God. It's just an ordinary conversation, but it's right before he leaves earth. And he says, Father, I am coming to you, but my followers are still in the world. So keep them safe by the power of the name you have given me. 
then they will be one with each other just as you and I are one. And I read that and I think, okay, he's talking about his followers, so he's talking about the church, like the church should be one. So there's our first challenge is how are we engaging with other Christians that we know and maybe Christians that do not agree with some of the same things that we do. They see God differently or they interact with God differently or they interact with each other differently or they interact with us differently. That's our first challenge. But if you actually keep reading the same chapter, he says, I am not praying just for these followers. I'm also praying for everyone else who will have faith because of what my followers will say about me. I want all of them to be one with each other. Another translation says, some people will believe because they see that my children are one with everybody. It is our greatest witness. It is our greatest, to use an old churchy term, testimony about our faith for us to see the we. This week, as we talk about proximity, I want to talk about how the Jesus effect makes the foreign familiar. And just like last week, I want to tell a couple of stories today that put a face on this for us, because I think as human beings, we are moved and inspired by stories and challenged by stories as well. So I want to show you a picture that the first time I saw this picture and I knew the story behind it, it moved me to tears because of the beauty of the human spirit. But when you see the picture, it's not going to feel like a beautiful picture. Go ahead. I'd like to show you. This is Kesia Thomas. And that does not look like a beautiful picture. That looks like a picture of violence. But the story behind that picture is that a KKK group had decided to to host a... What is that word? Presentation is not the right word. A rally. Thank you. Thank you for the help. Was hosting a rally. And the African-American local community had found out about it and had turned out in force. And And in fact... The members of the Ku Klux Klan were completely outnumbered, so much so that when tensions rose, this member of the KKK was on the ground being beaten. And then this happened. This happened. You guys, what do those two have in common? She has every right to say you're getting what you deserve. You came out here in opposition to me. And instead, she throws herself onto that man in order to block the blows and to stop the violence. Friends, are you my neighbor? The Jesus effect takes the foreign, the unfamiliar, the uncomfortable, the distant and brings it into proximity and makes it familiar. That is the effect that this can have on our world. You cannot boss someone into that response. Miss Thomas's response is not an obligation. You cannot guilt someone into this response. This is a heart-level response that comes from something that Jesus wants all of us to experience. The Jesus effect changes our proximity. It alters it. It doesn't guilt us in it. It alters it. How many of you have seen the old classic movie, Pollyanna? Are you? I love Pollyanna. (laughs) Your hand. Yes. Okay, good. 
Pollyanna is an orphan that's taken in by her aunt, and her aunt is extremely wealthy. And so she is trying to learn this new lifestyle that she is not comfortable with. And so one of the things that she is required to do is to go out and to give goods to the poor. And Aunt Polly has a quote in this movie that I think, gosh, just is is challenging in its familiarity. Aunt Polly says, it is the duty of the rich to practice charity on the poor. (gasps) That is not right. That is not right. Now, that is charitable. That is, in its action, it is loving. But can you feel proximity in that? There is a chosen distance. There is a, here, have my help. This is not proximity. This is not what God had intended for us, but it is familiar, is it not? Like, maybe I would not say that sentence. But in my actions, do I bring myself to proximity? And I don't mean physical proximity, because Aunt Polly was traveling to the homes of these poor people, and I don't mean poor in the sense of financially poor. She saw pity. She saw inferiority. She was physically getting into proximity, but she was not bringing with her the Jesus effect. She was truly bringing charity. And I feel like we could use some challenge in this as well. I want to tell you another story that just challenges and inspires me, and those two go hand in glove all the time. I'd like to introduce you to Scott Harrison, Last week, I mentioned an organization that I just think is pretty impressive. It's called Charity Water. Scott Harrison is the CEO and founder of that organization, and he was originally an event planner for bars and was fabulously wealthy and living the life of all kinds of debauchery, which is not even a word anymore, but you know what I mean? Like, living the high life, but it was empty for him. It was empty after a certain amount of years. (laughs) He lived the high life for quite a while and then was sick of it. (laughs) So uh, in his disgust with his own lifestyle, like I just feel empty and hollow and it's the same thing over and over and over again, he tries to volunteer with organizations to reconnect with his childhood faith. And no one will take him in because of his rap sheet. Like no one will even let him volunteer. So he finds an organization that will charge him $500 a month for him to volunteer, which is like, (laughs) I haven't thought to employ that in our volunteer management here. So he finds an organization that will take him in if he will fundraise $500 a month. And it's called Mercy Ships. And Mercy Ships is literally ships with doctors on them, and they travel around the world, and they perform medical procedures of various kinds that are unavailable in different countries. And so they don't, he's not a doctor, they literally hand him a camera and be like, can you please capture these moments? Like, you're paying $500 a month to live on a ship, to travel the world, not as a tourist, but simply to take pictures and capture. And Scott is moved by his physical proximity to poverty. And the thing that just captures his heart, like full on changed his everything, including his life eventually, was the reality of no access to clean water. It just broke his heart because his physical proximity, as he saw the results that it had on communities and their health conditions, as he saw the results specifically that it had on women, because women were then 
not allowed to continue in their education because they had to join the family's chores to travel on average three hours to a water source, not even a clean water source, a water source. And it just altered him. Scott's physical proximity changed another part of his proximity that went well beyond what Aunt Polly is doing. And to this day, Charity Water is actually the organization I talked about last week that that little girl, Rachel, who was nine years old, was raising money for. Their stories are interlinked. It's just amazing. I want to tell you a story out of the Bible. You might have if you were raised in the church. You might have heard this story because Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. Do you know that song? He climbed up it. No. All right. So (laughs) Zacchaeus was a Jew and he lived in the Jewish community, but he had completely betrayed his Jewish heritage by joining the ruling nation and becoming a tax collector for the oppressors. And as such, he physically was in proximity to his neighbors, but he was as outcast as outcast comes. And he had picked a lifestyle of opulence and the power that comes from that position over a sense of community. And then Jesus happens. And Zacchaeus cannot stomach his own proximity anymore. So he's still neighbors with his neighbors, but he is fundamentally altered. And he goes from outcast and skeptic to believer to radically generous. He not only changes his lifestyle, he offers to repay four times what he had cheated people out of. He becomes radically generous. But what's so interesting to me about this Bible story, I mean, that's inspiring and challenging right there. But what is so interesting to me about this Bible story is that Jesus's contemporaries, when this story happens, they fixate on something that is like, oh, this is so us. Like, it's so us. I'm going to read you out of Zacchaeus' story from Luke. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he, that's Jesus, has gone to be the guest of a sinner. They like fixate on Jesus's association with this sinner. Instead of, look what happened. Their sense of justice, honestly, I mean, they have been swindled by this guy, so I can understand why they don't want to be neighbors with Zacchaeus. But they've missed the transformation that is happening. They have missed the beauty in Zacchaeus' story because they don't want to be associated with that. And they don't understand why Jesus wants to be associated with that. But friends, this is a picture of the Jesus effect. Jesus' proximity, I think, is summed up in two words. It's personal. To Jesus, it's personal. I'm sure you've heard the phrase, you are not defined by your worst mistake. That is not the essence of you. That is not the totality of you. I believe Jesus believes that to his bones. To him, Zacchaeus is not a lifestyle of swindling and selfishness. To Jesus, Zacchaeus is personal. How can he not go and rescue Zacchaeus? How can he not pitch his tent with Zacchaeus to save him from himself? How can he not, how can he stay in a distant proximity? Here's the thing, friends. I think when we see these stories, I mean, Scott Harrison, for the love of all that is good, changed his entire career, up into his world, started an organization, has changed his life. I think we're so inspired by that because of the radical nature of it. 
But when we stop and think about the Jesus effect, are we ready to do that? Like, that's a really big step. That's a really big step. So I don't mean to call us to that really big step unless God is whispering to you right now some really big step, and then I'm not going to argue with him. If that's happening, you go. You go. But as a church body, I want to inspire us to something much smaller than that that I believe can have life-altering change for us It can change our church body. It can change our Sonoma County. And if we could get Sonoma County on this board, it can change our state. Like, this is the stuff that affects communities. So I want to call you to whatever radical, you know, thing is brewing in you. But actually, maybe we could just start with this idea that the Jesus calling is about a perspective that leads to a heart space. I'm going to get a little bit uncomfortable right now. But I have prayed about this moment because I want to challenge us. And I'm, I promise you I'm going to offend probably half of you, myself included. I have been very challenged by this idea. But proximity is not so much about my distance to and from someone, whether it's someone across the world or someone on the corner that I pass But I wonder if we're not getting the full effect of the Jesus effect because we are using some kind of logic or statistics to block this perspective out. So this is where it might get a little bit uncomfortable. But are we using sentences like when we encounter someone who is homeless and they are asking for money? Are we using sentences that maybe are logical, like I'm not going to give cash because I don't want to perpetuate a cycle But are we not doing that thing? And maybe that's a a logical thing not to do. But what is happening in our hearts? I will confess the months that I have spent praying about this moment, I have been so challenged that it is not first and foremost about my actions, whether I do or I do not give cash. It is about what is happening in my heart as I pass my neighbor that's my neighbor, you guys. I don't know his name, her name. I don't know the backstory. But you know what I have found in my own heart? Sentences like, dude, the economy is good. You can get a job. Like, you're able-bodied. I can physically see you're able-bodied. Listen, that does not hurt my neighbor in the sense that they didn't hear me say that sentence. Do you know who that's hurting? Me. That's hurting me as I choose an emotional distance instead of a proximity. The Jesus effect, me being loved the way that I am loved, allows me the space to get messy as I consider how to love other people. And I don't mean to make a political statement or a philosophical statement about how you engage physically with someone who is in need. And homeless is just one example of a neighbor. But are we pretty comfortable in our proximity that is distant? When I watch my own heart, I am challenged. And God is changing the way that I physically interact with my neighbor by first changing the internal proximity that I have. Recognizing that my circle... When I do things like this to make excuses for why I shut my heart out, I am stepping out of that circle and I am taking from my own Jesus effect. I am stealing from myself and from my neighbor. 
That, by, that um, song that we sang this morning, What Have I Done to Deserve Love Like This? I was so challenged singing that this morning because my first thought was, okay, what did God, God gave me this love that I could not earn. God has given me this love. I am well loved. But the thought that came right on the heels is I am so well loved by you guys. You show me God's love in a million ways every single week. I cannot believe how well I am loved. I wish this for all of you. I wish that you would feel that. And I know I have an advantage in that love because I've been at this church for 19 years, because I stand on the stage and so you get to know me a little bit and you interact with me. But truly, what is it that I have done to earn your love? Is it my awesome personality? I love my personality. It's awesome. (laughs) You guys, I didn't pick this personality. I did not have any choice in this matter. I didn't earn that. If you like my personality, you can thank God. That's wonderful. This this business of standing up on this stage, is that why you love me? Did I earn it that way? No, because I resisted this for years and you still loved me. People, if you could experience this love, if I could turn this love on my neighbor, my neighbor that's on the other side of the globe, my neighbor that's next door, my neighbor... In the grocery store, that's the cashier that's being kind of snarky with me. Like, this is life-altering love, this Jesus effect. I want to read you a quote that is way ancient. It's from 1347. It's Catherine of Siena. I don't even know who that is, but I think she was onto something. Remember, there's nothing so difficult and no stronghold so impregnable that it can't be broken down by love. Just pause for a second and picture a world crisis that breaks your heart. If you trace it back far enough, love fixes it. Not the kind of love that pats somebody on the shoulder, but the kind of love that changes how we feel, the kind of love that then changes how we act. I was challenged in August at a conference that I went to by this statement. And man, it just, because I was already praying about this, it just sucked me in the teeth. So good luck to you. They defined diversity as being invited to the party. That's diversity. And I hope for our church diversity, that we are a better reflection of Jesus because of our diversity. So diversity is being invited to the party, but inclusion is being asked to dance. Inclusion is proximity, you guys. That is proximity. That is a heart space that changes our action and no one can guilt us into it. It is an action that comes from a heart space that has been changed. I want to tell you another story. Introduce you to Jean-Claude. Jean-Claude was a victim of the Rwanda genocide back in the 90s and he watched his father be killed. Actually, multiple family members be killed. But he watched his father be killed. Coming out of the genocide, his life was in ruins. And he had to figure out what to do, both about the anger and the unforgiveness and the hurt that was there, how to rebuild his life. And part of his rebuilding of his life was to start a nonprofit called Best Family. And it's a little bit like Compassion International or World Vision, where there's a sponsorship of a kid, and then you help pay for that kid's education and food and medical care. And so he starts this organization, but he also, because he believes in it, he decides to sponsor a kid. Do you know whose kid he sponsored? His dad's murderer's son. Oh, my word. 
Oh, my word. What would it take for me? I can't even imagine forgiving, let alone giving. You guys, this is the Jesus effect. Look at his face. Do you think he likes this? Like, that's the Jesus effect right there. I believe Jesus lived on the cutting edge of love all of his life. And the Bible is filled with invitations to us to live on the cutting edge of love. Jesus gave his proximity to Zacchaeus. And then the people around him fixated on, why are you associating with a known sinner? I'm telling you, if we catch this spark at all, we're going to be criticized for our associations. We're going to, will we put our reputations on the line? Will we put our comfort on the line? Will we put our nice, clean boxes? Will we put our camps on the line? Are we game to get on the cutting edge of love? I want to remind you that we are an ecosystem. This church is an ecosystem. This community is an ecosystem. God was into the global citizenship movement before that was cool. (laughs) Jesus was a global citizen. We are part of an ecosystem. I want to read you two verses that just speak to God's heart on this topic. A new command I give you. And it's not the kind of command that he can compel you to do it because it's a hard space. So it's not like do this or don't do this. He is commanding us into a heart space, which is like, okay, that's harder than actions. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, as you have received the Jesus effect, love others. So you must love one another. A same kind of concept later in the same book, John 15, I think this next one is. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Signed, Jesus. That's our call. That is my invitation. And I know it's challenging and inspiring. That is the mantra underneath our Christian faith. That right there is the heartbeat of the Christian faith. So I'd like to recap just quickly. Part one of the Jesus effect is about changing our perspective. Can we see the we and would we ask ourselves, are you my neighbor? Part two of the Jesus effect changes my proximity It's personal. Can I find the familiar inside the foreign? The person whose value system is so foreign to me, I can't even relate. Can I make it personal in the way that Jesus made it personal? And I think still just ordinary conversations with God, asking as we do the interactions throughout the week, are you my neighbor, can begin to foster this heart space. Next week, Ron is going to wrap this series up talking about that change that happens. The three-step process that actually helps this be the thing that we do without being compelled to do it, without being guilted or obliged to do it. What is it that can move us to be the Jesus effect in our community? I would like to pray over us. I think that this is the movement of the spirits. I'd like to formally invite God, into this room, I know you are already here. For those of us that call you Father, you have planted a piece of you into our hearts. We love these stories. We are gasp-worthy responding to stories like Jean-Claude's, where you have moved him to a radical level of love that we can honestly not comprehend. But that same spirit that moved Jesus to give his life, that same spirit that moves Jean-Claude to forgive, that same spirit lives inside of us. And even if we are not a Jesus follower, we were still made in the image of you. This is part of our DNA design. 
Would you move our community to have the courage to get on the cutting edge of love? Make us uncomfortable. Whisper invitations. Draw us out into unknown waters, perfectly aware that there was nothing we could do to earn that love, but there is everything that we can do to display that love to other people. Give us a heart change that draws us into being neighbors with our world. Thank you for that love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.